0: So we've been uh, talking about this marvelous concept called justification in recent weeks. And last week, we, we, we digressed a bit, but it really wasn't a digression because it's fundamental to uh, understanding Paul's teaching about justification by faith. We looked from Genesis 15, and where God had made a promise to Abram, and Abram just believed God. He just took him at his word. And the scripture says that when he believed God, that the Lord And so we're going to take it verse by verse through Romans chapter four. And uh, I want to encourage you today that not only uh, there's great theological truth here, but there's also practical truth. So I want to speak to anyone here who feels like they're in a hopeless situation. Uh, Anyone here who feels like they've got a mountain that just won't move. Anyone here that is uh, facing something that seems impossible in the natural, and I just want to stretch your faith, as it were, as you hear the word of God. May God grant that. Verse 1, Paul says, "What?" Now this phrase is is going to appear in the book of Romans about seven times in various forms. Some translations will say our forefather, and they do so in order that it might translate what Abraham means to the Jews. Now, Paul is very wise. He's, he's probably the most brilliant man of his time and a great, uh, a great logical rhetorical argument he's making here. He's been almost pleading almost like a courtroom case, like a, a polished attorney would do. And he has spent the first three chapters showing that the whole world stands guilty before God and that the law is not sufficient to save anyone. The law never saved anybody. All the law did was show us how sinful we are. The law was never intended to to bring salvation. It was intended to bring us to the Savior. Galatians says that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ. And so now, Paul is going to uh, call two witnesses to the stand, if if we're using the analogy of the courtroom. He's gonna call Abraham and David. And David's not gonna spend much time on the stand, but Abraham is gonna get sufficient time uh, on the witness stand this morning And so you and I Really appreciate Because we're, I don't think we have any Descendants of Ab- any physical descendants Of Abraham uh, here today If so I apologize to you I'm, a, I'm operating under the assumption That most of us are Gentiles Here and we really don't appreciate What Abraham meant To the Jewish people uh, the, the closest thing I can give To us as Americans would be perhaps The founding fathers uh, how much they mean to us and and what the, the, the foundings, founders of the Constitution and that kind of thing. But Abraham is really big in the economy of the Jewish people. He was probably the supreme uh, figure of the Old Testament, uh, even in Jesus' day when Jesus was ministering to them. And, and and they said, Abraham is our father. You know, this, this was familiar rhetoric for them. Abraham, and in the mind of the Jewish person, and this is what Paul's gonna take aim at, can't fully appreciate it because we don't really, uh, we weren't immersed in that culture. But in the mind of the average Jewish person in the days of Jesus and Paul, Abraham was justified because he was such a perfect guy, that his righteousness was just so uh, magnanimous that he, he's uh, uh, his, his, his uh, righteousness before God was so supreme that even his descendants, it was just bestowed upon them by virtue of their relationship to Abraham. And and if you've ever read the book of Genesis, and I encourage you to do so, it's the book of beginnings. If you've ever read the book of Genesis, you know that Abraham was not perfect. As a matter of fact, what we looked at last week in Genesis 15, where it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, you know, we all shout hallelujah, go Abraham. But in the very next chapter, we find that Abraham hatches the great plan B of human history. And he and... Uh, Sarah and Hagar make a choice that's going to impact the Jewish people not only for that day but even in our day we still live with the implications so Abraham was not a perfect man and that's what Paul is saying in verse 2 he says uh, Abraham might be able to brag before people uh, about his good works but not before God and why is that because we've already proven from Romans 3 that there's none righteous No, not one. There is none that seeks after God. There is none that is as pure and as perfect as a holy God. God is perfectly righteous, and that is the standard for heaven. And that's what the world fails to understand, is that the only way to get to heaven is to be perfect. And since we can't be perfect on our own, we have to have perfection credited to us. Now this word, uh, the Greek word is legizomai, but you're going to see it translated as reckoned or imputed or accounted numerous times in in Romans 4 and the idea it's an an accounting term it's a banking term and it means to have something credited to your account and what God does when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and believe what God said about him is God takes the the perfected life the perfect life that Jesus lived and he puts that on the believers account and, that, and, that's, uh, and we're going to subsequent verses, what that means for us. Verse three, Paul says, "What saith the scripture? You know that's the question you need to ask. Whenever you have a question about anything in life, you don't need to ask, "Well how do I feel about it?" or what, my, what is my opinion on it?" here's what you need to ask yourself. What does God's word say about it? And what God's word says about it settles the matter. Does't matter if a hundred people, Feel differently about it. Doesn't mean if 99% of the world feels differently about it. Let God be true and let every man be a liar. But it was the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, uh, six. By the way, allow me to correct an error I made last week. Uh, The Bible says that pride goes before a fall and sometimes I get up here without my notes. I typically don't preach with notes and and sometimes you can spout off uh, facts that are not correct. And I said last week that Abraham lived 100 years after uh, Isaac was born and that's not true. Uh, That would have made him like 200 years old. But he died at 175 and Isaac was born when he was 100. So he lived 75 years. So I made a mistake. So I wanna thank each one of you for not calling me and pointing that out to me (laughs) this week. The Holy Spirit did that job for me Sunday afternoon. I listening to the message, oh my goodness. Uh, But anyway, so verse four. Uh, Paul says, now to him that concept, don't you? Those of you who still work or those of you who worked in, in uh, previous years, after you've worked a 40-hour week and you receive your paycheck, you don't go to your employer and say, oh, thank you for being so gracious to me. I just want to I appreciate so much you paying me for this job that I've been performing for the, these 40 hours. You don't do that, do you? Why? because you've earned that money, or at least in theory you have. <laughs> I wasn't there just to watch you, but in theory, you've earned that money because it, you've worked, and so therefore, your paycheck is not a gift. It is what? It's a wage, and that's what Paul is saying here, that if we were to earn salvation by works, then salvation would not be a gift. It would be a wage. However, he says to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So, if God were to let us get into heaven because we were such good people, it would mean that God owed, owed us a debt. And we know from Scripture that God doesn't owe us anything. In verse 5, he says, But to him worketh not, and in the present tense, yeah, this, this verb in the, in the Greek is in the continuous present. It means he, he who continues not to work. And that's not talking about being lazy here, this is talking about working for salvation. He who does not work but believes, and that again is in the present continuous uh, tense but continues to believe on him that justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Now, what Paul says in verse five here would probably seem scandalous to a first century Jew because their concept of God, and even God's own word says that he will not acquit the guilty, right? Uh, and he, he, uh, God hates those that condemn the righteous and acquit the guilty. But here God does something that's really outrageous to human nature. And that is, God justifies, look in verse five, look at that. God justifies who? The ungodly. Those who don't deserve it. The the only way you can get saved is if you finally come to the place that you realize you need a Savior. Jesus, but sinners to repentance. And the truth is, there are none none righteous. So God is calling all of us to, to salvation. He says, he justifies the ungodly. This is the gracious nature of our God. God justifies those who don't deserve it. Verse six. Now he's going to call one of Israel's great kings to the witness stand, King David. He says, even as David also describes the blessedness of the man, unto whom God, and here's that word Legizamai, imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose, sins, whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are forgiven. That's Psalm thirty two which is also a companion to Psalm 51. Now it's no accident that, that God through the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to record these words. When we think about King David, what do we say about King David? What, what is kind of the epitaph of King David? He was a man, what? After God's own heart. I can't hear you but I know you were saying it along with me. He's a man after God's own heart. But if you've ever read Samuel, if you've ever read in uh, Chronicles, you know that King David was not a perfect man. And the Psalm 32 that, that God quotes here, that Paul quotes in verse six, is most commentators believe that David penned this Psalm, in Psalm 51, after his great sin with Bathsheba and the subsequent murder of her husband Uriah. David committed two capital crimes, adultery and murder. And under the law, there was no sacrifice that could be brought. For, for those sins that nothing could atone because they were capital. Nathan, the prophet, confronted David and David confessed his sin. Nathan said these powerful words. He says, you will not die. God has forgiven you of your sin. And don't you, I, I can't imagine the relief that David must have felt. And it led him to pen the psalm. Jesus said, the one who, forgives, who is forgiven much loves much. And I believe at that moment, David's heart just exploded with praise. And he said, blessed is the man to whom God imputes righteousness without works. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. You see, sacrifice couldn't have covered that. He talks about that in Psalm 51, about sacrifice and burnt offering. He says, the sacrifices of God are a contrite spirit, a broken heart. These are the things that God desires. And Sir David, even back in the Old Testament, under the law, Now, Abraham wasn't under the law. David was under the law. But David understood that that even the the, the sacrifices couldn't take away sins. It it took a gracious intervention of God. So now we've got Abraham being justified apart from the works of the flesh and David being justified apart from the works of the law. Verse 8, Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not reckon or impute sin. Now, verse 9, Paul deals with the question. Well is this only for the Jews? You've been talking about Abraham and David and they were both Jewish. Abraham being the father of the Jewish nation. So Paul's gonna establish a timeline now. He says, does this come this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Okay, so far so good, right? We've established that Abraham was justified by faith. Abraham believed God, right? Are we all in agreement? Blow your horn. I just want to hear that you're still awake. That's, that's sad when the preacher's got to fish for an amen, but I, you know, you do what you got to do. You know, something else I've discovered is that some folks are, that live in this neighborhood, they need a new muffler. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yes, verse 10. A little, a little merry heart d- does good. good, doesn't it? Verse 10, he said, how was it then reckoned when he was in uncircum- uncircumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. For all intents and purposes, Paul is saying, when Abraham was justified, he was like a Gentile. He didn't. And 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 let me establish a little timeline for you. I got in trouble with my math last week. I didn't know the difference between one hundred and seventy-five, but I am going to get get my numbers right uh, this this morning. If I am not mistaken, Abraham was eighty-six when Ishmael uh, was born. And, uh, and when he was 99 is when circumcision was instituted. So Abraham was justified before God a minimum of 13 years before he was ever circumcised. So circumcision was not what saved Abraham. Now again, you and I being Gentiles, we don't really appreciate the, uh, the exalted position circumcision had uh, in the days of Jesus and Paul and the apostles in the early church. That's why Paul had such a devil of a time uh, trying to fight against these Judaizers who were trying to make Gentiles be circumcised in order to be saved. That's how prominent circumcision was in their way of thinking. And Paul's saying, look, guys, Abraham was saved 13 years, uh, at least th- 13 years before he was ever circumcised. And verse 11. He says, then he received the sign of circumcision. That's all it was. It was a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he already had, he says in verse 11, being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Do you see that? I hope you're seeing this, that God did this for Abraham when he was uncircumcised so that he could be, a sal- a, so he could be the savior, not only of the Jews, but of the Gentiles. Jesus said this statement. He said that Abraham rejoiced when he saw my day. Paul says in Galatians that the gospel was preached before unto Abraham. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. God was showing through the life of Abraham the way that men are saved and put right with God. God always intended to save not only the Jewish people, but Gentiles. Remember what God said to Abram. He said, I have made you a father of God many nations not just the Jewish people and that's why we're here today verse 12 and it says then the father of circumcision to them who were not of the circumcision only but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham which he had yet being uncircumcised praise God you and I are the children of Abraham by faith we are not his physical descendants but we are his spiritual descendants and I think about that every time Abraham must have uh, had had a difficult time. He, just, he remembered what God told him to look up at the stars or look down at the sand. And he looked down at the stars and counted them and so innumerable would, would his descendants be. Verse 13. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath for where no law is, There is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but that which also which is the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So let me summarize this. Do you realize the law did not come till some 400 years after, after Abraham was already justified? So the law was... Now the Jews believe that Abraham kept the law even before Moses gave it. There's no scripture that indicates that whatsoever. The scriptures indicate something completely contrary to that. That the law did not come until some 400 years, 430 years after Abraham was justified. So law had nothing to do with Abraham's salvation. Are you, making the, are you connecting the dots here? Paul's using a logical ar- argument here. And the reason God did this was so that salvation could be by grace. That's what he's saying here. Verse 16. Now, in verse 13, there's an interesting phrase here. Abraham should be the heir of the world. I want to just tease you with that and let you just study on your own. But I believe ultimately he's talking about that the fact that the Messiah would come through his, his lineage, that the Messiah would come through his descendants, and that we would be spiritual sons of Abraham, and that in Christ we would be heirs and joint heirs with him of the world. But the promise was by faith, he says in verse 16, that it might be by grace. Everything is by grace in God's economy. It's not by works. It's by grace. Now, we're going to get to something that's, that's a, a historical fact. And if you're facing a hopeless situation, I want to encourage you this morning. And by the way, there are no hopeless situations as long as you're alive. There's still hope. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations... Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Do you realize that God is a God of creation? He creates things out of nothing. The Latin phrase is ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo. Creation out of nothing. God simply said, let there be light, and it was. God said, let there be day. Let there be a moon, and it was. Finally, he said, let us make man. Warned him out of the breath of life. God from nothing, and that's what he's saying to Abraham. God believed, Abraham believed God, and he understood that he's the one who raises the dead. This is going to be very important in Abraham's life. Some years later, after Isaac is born, but in verse eighteen, he says, "Who against hope believed in hope?" I like that phrase. If I can say it against, if I can say it this way, against all odds, humanly speaking, Abraham believed. Everything that he saw in the natural would lend him to believe that there was no hope, but because he knew God, there was hope. If you know God this morning, there's hope. If you know the Lord, Him, there is hope. Against hope, he believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations that which was spoken so shall thy seed be so he believed the promise do you believe the promises of God if you're, if you're struggling right now with doubt and unbelief I want to challenge you to get in the word of God and just immerse yourself in the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God we need to starve our doubt and feed our faith just immerse yourself daily daily in the word of God and I promise you the results will be life changing the word of God will work inside of you. Verse 19, it says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was a hundred years old, neither yet the, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. <laughs> Let's look at those two verses. Uh, be patient with me. I, I just want to dwell on this for just a moment. Have you ever read the book of Genesis? Have you ever looked at the story of Abraham? Did Abraham ever have moments of weakness? Well certainly he did. Uh, Genesis 16 would attest to that because Abraham and Sarah they, they decided they were going to help God out and so they brought Hagar in and, and Ishmael was born and even when God appears to, uh, to Abraham at age 99 and tells him he's going to have a son and tells Abraham excuse me, tells Abraham he's going to have uh, a son and Sarah, she's gonna have one. They both laughed, that's why Isaac's name means laughter. So there were moments, and Abraham's life, there are several, we're gonna look at Abraham more in depth and so I won't get into all that. But there were numerous times when Abraham demonstrated, uh, if you will, a momentary lapse of faith. And I bring that out to say this, that one mistake does not define a human being. Look at, Abraham's legacy is remembered as a man who did not stagger at the promise of God. Do you say that in verse 20? The Holy Spirit says that that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Well, you say, well, how can you reconcile that with Genesis uh, and and Abraham having momentary lapses of faith? It's because one mistake does not define you. The journey of faith is about falling down and getting back up. You know, Uh, a detour does not mean you're done for. To quote Warren Wiersbe, you can. We've all taken detours, folks. Every last one of us. But a detour doesn't mean you're done for. You and I, we make bad mistakes, but we're sovereign. We make poor choices, but God is still in control. And I don't care what you're facing this morning. I don't care what you've done. You're not so far off that the grace of God can't reach you and forgive you of whatever you've done, and your situation is not so hopeless that God can't, uh, God can't work in your life. Abraham had a big problem. You see, when he had Ishmael, he was still able to father children. But by the time Isaac was born, Abraham had lost the ability. He was sterile. And, and we know Sarah had long since been barren. So Abraham, not only, uh, the Bible says that he was now dead, Uh, reproductively speaking, in verse 19, he was reproductively speaking dead, and Sarah was dead. So Abraham not only had a problem with himself, even if he could have a baby, he still got a barren wife. He had two obstacles to overcome. I want to tell you, there's nothing too hard for God. And that's that's what Abraham is saying here. That's what God is saying. You say, well, I'm in a hopeless situation. No, I'm telling you what, if God can make a 99-year-old man uh, virile, and if he can make a, a, a woman who's been barren for 90 years to bear children, there's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing too hard for God in your life. I promise you that. And notice again this phrase, quickens the dead, quickening the dead. He didn't consider his own body dead. You see, that's a paradigm of our salvation. When we finally come to the end of ourselves, what does Paul say in Ephesians 2? I'm about to work myself into a shout, and I can't because i got to come in for a landing. But here's the thing. Paul said in Ephesians 2, he says, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God did what? He quickened us, and he made us alive. When you get to the end of yourself, and you realize all of my righteousness is filthy rags, and you realize that you are dead in trespasses and sins, guess what? You're a candidate for a resurrection, my friend. You're a candidate your spirit born again verse 21 and being fully persuaded to perform abraham said you know what god i don't see how it could be possible in the natural uh i'm really old i'm dead i'm as good as dead my wife's as good as dead but god i know that you are the god of the resurrection and there's nothing too hard you lord And therefore, verse 22, therefore, therefore, it was imputed, accounted unto him, logidzimai. It was credited to him for righteousness. You see, Abraham could not do anything to improve his situation. Would you agree with that? He couldn't go to a fertility clinic. In vitro wouldn't work for Abraham and Sarah. he, He had no other options. His only option was God. And I'm going to tell you this, when God's all you've got, he's all you need. He is all you need. And it was imputed in him for righteousness. Now, verse 23, Paul says this didn't happen in a vacuum. He said this was not written for Abraham's sake alone, that it was imputed unto him. In other words, what God was doing in Genesis was not just for Abraham's benefit. It was for your benefit and my benefit. And it says it was written for us, verse 24, to whom it shall also be It will also be credited to us. It will also be imputed unto us. If, here's the condition, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Do you believe that this morning? I do. I believe it. And you know, this faith that we have is not a blind leap of faith. There are plenty of logical reasons to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but the, the likelihood of one person being Jesus Christ fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies in precise detail is like one to the billionth power. I'm speaking in hyperbole, of course. But there are plenty of reasons to believe. We have the, and we've got a New Testament also. And we have the witness of the apostles and we have the witness of the 500 people that saw Jesus Christ in a resurrected body. Over 500 witnesses saw Jesus Christ resurrected and all the apostles were martyred except for John. Uh, they were martyred for their faith. So we do have reasonable uh, reasons to believe. In Verse 25, he was delivered for our offenses and he was raised again for our justification. Some believe that this might have been a creed in the early church. But there, there are two important components Paul says there's a third also in 1 Corinthians 15, the death, burial, and resurrection. His death, uh, in verse, and this word means handed over, he was delivered over for our offenses. Christ was crucified for our sin. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus took care of our sin on the cross. When he, when he bowed his head on Calvary's cross and he gave up the ghost, he said, it is finished, To telestai in the Greek, paid in full he has done everything he's ever going to do about forgiving your sin listen you don't have to walk on broken glass you don't have to go to a priest you don't have to crawl on your knees up and down some cathedral somewhere you don't have to cut yourself with stones you don't have to do some kind of penance that will never take away sins no animal sacrifice We don't have to walk, on, walk through hot coals or broken glass none of that stuff will ever take away your sin but let me tell you something 2,000 years ago one man took care of your sin once for all on calvary's cross the spotless lamb of god died on calvary's cross never to die again and he didn't stay in the grave paul said he was delivered for our offenses but hallelujah glory to god he was raised again on the third day for our justification he was ascended to the right hand of the father he is now there living to make uh, intercession for the saints and you and i can be justified by faith if we believe in the death The burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Be encouraged, dear friend. There's nothing in your life that's too hard for God. And one final note here about old Abraham, our buddy Abe. (laughs) Our good buddy Abe, the father of faith, the forefather of us all. You know, not only one time would Abraham have to believe that God would raise people from the dead. You see, Sarah's womb had to be resurrected and Abraham's loins, pardon the expression, had to. But sometime later, Abraham. And he would say, now, Abraham is a picture of the father. Abraham is a paradigm of all the experiences of salvation. We'll get into that. And Abraham will identify with you at Mount Moriah. God will tell Abraham he said I want you to take your son your only son now he had two boys didn't he? he had Ishmael but he said he's your only son just like God himself would one day send his only son to walk to carry the cross up the hill to be suspended between the heavens and the earth and even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so his only begotten son would be lifted up between the heavens and the earth. And Abraham would have one final test of faith. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham, that God, if he had to, God had asked him to do Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. That's what he believed. He believed in the God of resurrection and the God that we serve, dear friend, is the God of resurrection. So I don't care how dead it looks, I don't care how dead it looks, you and I serve a God that can simply speak a word and bring life out of death. Brother Ronnie, would you come? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what are you waiting for? Time is running out. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you say, what do I do? Well, Paul has what you need to do. You need to put your faith in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, God will take Jesus' perfect righteousness and credit that to your account and you can be perfectly forgiven you can have your conscience cleared once and for all and you can have peace with God and believer if you're facing a tough situation that seems hopeless I want you to I want you to look every night when the sun goes down I want you to look up at the sky and I want you to remember the promise that God made to Abraham and remember that took this old man and he gave him as many so many stars in the sky that couldn't be numbered. That's the same God that you and I serve, and there's nothing that's too hard for you. God bless you.